Hey, we are in a sermon series right now entitled Remarkable, three and a half years that changed everything. In this series, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark together, uh, one of the four books in the Bible that describes for us in detail the life and times of Jesus. And our hope in the series is that every person here, whether you're here one week out of the series or for the entire series, our hope is that you would see for yourself truly how remarkable Jesus is. And how the incredible things he did in the first century still have the power to change everything right now in the 21st century. Hope you've already been seeing so far that Jesus is more remarkable than any man who's ever lived. And he's probably more remarkable than maybe you even assumed or thought before. So let me pray real fast that we would have fresh eyes to see this Jesus in remarkable ways this morning. God, your son is the fullness of who you are. He's the perfect representation of who you are, God. He is your glory and your goodness wrapped up in human form. And we want to see him this morning. We want to see him in a new way, in a fresh way. We want to see him in a way that would change us like it changed those in the first century. So speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, in light of this particular sermon, I started thinking about great water rescues. Uh, As a kid, I remember watching Albuquerque firemen rescue people out of arroyos during flash floods. Uh, Flash floods in the desert of Albuquerque are a very real thing and a very scary thing. And that's why we literally make t-shirts and have a saying that goes like this. Ditches are deadly, stay away. Ditches are deadly. It's kind of morbid. But I remember those water rescues. When it comes to great water rescues, there are tons of stories that came out of Houston, right, over this last year or so. Uh, Stories of people rescuing friends and neighbors off of rooftops and out of cars that were sinking and totally underwater. There's the true story behind the movie, The Finest Hours, right, what what some would call the Coast Guard's greatest small boat rescue of all time. If you've never seen that movie, I highly encourage you to see it's a great tale, and it truly is a story about oceanic heroism. And then, of course, when it comes to great water rescues, there's the story of Prince Eric saving Ariel when she was about to be lost at sea forever. I mean, that's just a great water rescue. But there are tons, tons of examples of these. And and, and all of these water rescues are, are pretty near and dear to my heart because, believe it or not, I was actually an intricate part of one of these several years ago. I grew up white water rafting with my family in New Mexico, and one season we were going through a stretch of river in northern New Mexico called the Taos Box. Is anybody familiar with the Taos Box or white water rafting at all? Can we try to explain a little bit of what this is? Uh, The Taos Box is a pretty intense area of the river. It can turn into a level four or five rapid, which is about as high as it gets in that world. And so we were in a little caravan, if you will, I'm not sure what you call it, but we were with three rafts. It was us and, and two other rafts, and at the hardest part of the box, we came together to make a little plan, and then each raft would go down the box, uh, one followed by the other. Ours was the last in this line. So the first raft went down, and you could tell, man, the rapids were raging that day. It's back and forth, and they made it through. Then the second raft uh, took its turn down the path, and they didn't have as much success I kid you not, I can still remember, we were kind of parked up on the top of the box as this raft was going down, and the rapids were so intense, they got thrown from one side of the river, then suddenly to the other side of the river, they went on their side, and the entire raft just tipped right over. And all 12 people went flying into the ice-cold water. To make the story a little bit more dramatic, I like to say that there were sharks and killer whales in the water as well. But this is New Mexico, and outside of the silvery minnow, uh, there's not much aquatic life to speak of. 
But the raft flips over, the people go flying out, and our guide, I kid you not, yells out, paddle or die! And grab someone as you're paddling or they will die. Like, wow, that sounds really, really intense. But, but we did what he said. And so we go flying down the box, flying down this chute, this rapid. We're trying to make it through ourselves. But literally as we're going down the rapid, we're having to grab people up who are just floating in the water. And I remember to this day, like it just happened yesterday, the look on this one man's face as, as my dad and I, and I think it was mostly me, actually, uh, reached over the side of the raft and we pulled him by the straps of his life jacket. We ripped him up out of the rapid into our raft. He was so terrified. You could just see the look on his face. Now here's the thing. It's really just a matter of time before some major movie producer wants to buy the rights to this story. And then it's going to be this huge box office hit. I'll probably become so famous, I've got to quit the church. I'm sorry, right? But you'll say, like, I knew Thomas back when. He was just a little guy, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Here's the thing, though. If the 12 guys who followed Jesus were listening to my story today, if they were here with us today, they would actually think that my grandiose tale was rather lame and tame. Pretty lame and tame compared to what they experienced one day in Mark chapter 4. You see, in Mark chapter 4, we read something truly remarkable. In that story, Jesus didn't take out anyone from a stormy sea. He literally took the stormy sea out. Let me show you. Mark chapter 4, if you have a Bible there, will be in verses 35 and following. If not, we'll have it on the screen. It says this, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, the other side of the sea. Leaving the crowd behind, he took him along. they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. All right, so for several weeks now, if not several months, the disciples have been watching and witnessing and walking alongside of Jesus as he is doing one remarkable thing after another. And you can imagine that every day following Jesus in that way, it would have been a crazy day. It would have been a super exciting day. You were watching Jesus as he's healing people of seemingly incurable diseases. You are getting a first-hand look at a man who is removing evil presence from people's lives, these strongholds that people have been under for maybe their entire life. You are seeing him bring people back together as families, as couples, people who have been ostracized out of community. You've seen him bring them back into community. I mean, it is truly remarkable. And every day would have been exhilarating, I imagine. And every day probably would have been pretty exhausting, I imagine, as well. Long hours. Lots of walking and very little downtime. So here in Mark 4, this, this first verse that we're reading today, this, this request by Jesus, it seems rather innocent, but I need you to understand, this probably wasn't received very well by the 12 when Jesus first asked. It's been an incredibly long day, an incredibly hard day, an incredibly tiring day, and what does Jesus say? Hey guys, I want to go sailing. Let's go sailing tonight. Take me to the other side of the sea he says. Here's a pic of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. And I imagine that night, as the disciples are thinking about their bedtime or what they're going to have for dinner, Jesus, even though the sun is setting, he's like asking like to go on a dinner cruise, right? Well, this would, be, this would have been no dinner cruise at all. There's nothing close to that. The boat that Jesus' disciples would have been on would have been a 17-foot first century fishing boat. Let me give you a little context here, a little perspective. Here's an old Cadillac. That's 17 feet long. 
Let's say you take the engine out of that, you pack 15 grown men, and you put that on the sea. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. I don't know about you. Especially after a really long, really hard day. But going on the water, let alone crossing the sea, eight miles long, mind you, from one shore to the other, it would have required a ton of energy on the part of disciples. It would have required a ton of effort on the part of the disciples. They would have had to struggle for hours against the wind and the waves and the current and their own exhaustion. Plus, I mean, just kind of figure out 15 grown men. I'm sure Matthew's knees were sticking into John's back. I'm sure Thomas was doubting they were even going to make it to the other side safely. I'm sure Judas was doing something sketchy and shady because that's just what Judas does. right? Use whatever stereotypes you want. It would have been a really difficult thing to do after a really difficult day of already doing a lot of stuff. Those of you who have a second job, you know this feeling, don't you? You gotta go to work right after you get off of work. That's what Jesus is asking them here. And there's an important life lesson that we learn in this text, in this very first line. Sometimes, even when and even though we're tired, even when and even though you feel like you've given it all, even when and even though you don't feel like you have anything left to give, Jesus will ask you to go across the sea. He will ask you to go just a little bit further and give a little bit more. Exhibit just a little bit more energy and effort. He will ask you to help out or reach out or serve or speak or assist somebody in a way, even though it's already been a really long, hard day, even though you've already helped people out, even though you've already tried to do the right thing, you just, you just want to go home and veg on the couch and binge watch Stranger Things. Just me? Okay. But sometimes in that place, Jesus is going to say, yeah, yes, it's not time. It's not time to quit yet. It's not time to go to sleep yet. It's not time to cash it in yet or go home right now. We need to go across the sea right now. A friend of mine once told me that the sign of Christian maturity is when we minister to others or obey the Lord even when and even though we're really tired. A sign of Christian maturity is when we obey the Lord or serve others even when and even though we don't want to. A sign of Christian maturity is, is when we serve others or obey the Lord even when we're really tired and we just want to go home and, and the kids are driving us crazy and I just don't think I have anything left to give Jesus. He will say, hey, would you just go across the sea for me right now? Would you just take me with you across the sea? Sometimes after a long, exhausting day or month or season or year or decade, for some of us, Jesus will say, will you go across the lake with me and for me? And although we might be thinking, really right now? Can we just wait until the morning? Or how about we'll just call you an Uber, okay? We'll get you across the lake. We'll meet you there tomorrow. I hope that you will go with him, even though you're tired right now. I hope you'll go with him, even though you're exhausted right now. I hope you'll go with him, even though you don't think you, you can make it. I hope you'll go with him across the lake right now, because he's got something to show you. Mark 4 tells us that. A furious squall came up, the story continues, and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. So the disciples say yes to this dinner cruise with Jesus, and wouldn't you know what a storm comes as the disciples roll across the Sea of Galilee, this fierce storm unexpectedly rolls in on them. Their situation goes from this, this beautiful scene, to this, chaos on the water. 
And those of us here in Denver, we read the story, we're like, oh yeah, we know that feeling, right? Because the weather patterns here can change in an instant. John, our communication director, even told me the story that this very same thing happened to him up at Lake Dillon one summer day. Him and his girls were out on the lake uh, during the summertime a few years back. It's a beautiful day, blue skies, but suddenly those blue skies turn to dark gray. This storm rolls over the mountain and is on top of them within just a few minutes. He didn't even see it coming. The wind and the waves get so intense, he said they were all so scared for their life. He's like gunning it back to the shore or whatever, and they're just all screaming, we're gonna die! Actually, the girls told me John was screaming that. His story was a little different, but, but here's the thing. John's a great boater, but he is a self-proclaimed amateur when it comes to boating. He hasn't really been doing it his entire life. And yet, the guys who were on the boat with Jesus that day, they were paid professionals. This is all they did. I mean, Peter and James, Andrew and John, they had been sailing on this water since they were little boys. They spent more hours on the water than Ryan Long spends watching The Bachelor. And that is a lot of time. But the water's like a second home for these guys. There wasn't anything they hadn't seen or experienced before on the Sea of Galilee. So when they tell us this storm was fierce, when these men are fearing for their lives, you know the situation is dire. And it seems that in this moment, the waves and the wind, they're so intense, the water literally starts coming up over the boat, so much so that they start drowning. They start swamping the boat and sinking it. Now, I don't know much about water, again, growing up in New Mexico, but I do know this. The water is supposed to stay outside the boat. And as soon as your condition changes and it starts coming in, you're in a bad spot. You're in a tough spot and a lot of trouble. In this moment, the disciples learn another very important lesson, and it's this. Sometimes following Jesus is no vacation by the sea. See, sometimes he will ask you to cross the sea even when you don't want to. But another lesson we learn from this story is that sometimes following Jesus, it's no vacation by the sea. American culture and American Christianity um, is taught that being a Christian and having a real deep faith in God, it means that your life is going to be relatively easy or carefree. See, countless people teach and countless people believe that if you are in the center of God's will, that everything in your life is going to be relatively calm and easy and tranquil. That when you do what's right, it'll just feel right. It'll just be right. Those folks just, just not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. Or they're just skipping over a lot of parts of it. Because sometimes, and more often than not, being in the center of God's will, it's really hard. And it's really painful. Sometimes being in the center of God's will actually means you're experiencing hurt and frustration and loss and heartache and pain. Just ask Joseph. Just ask John the Baptist. Just ask Jesus. You can be exactly where God wants and needs and is calling you to be exactly in the center of his will. And you can really hate every second of it. You could feel like this is not where I'm supposed to be. And yet God says, it's exactly where I want you to be. Now, sometimes walking with the Lord, it's not a vacation by the sea. It actually means you're going to have to go through an intense storm on the sea. And we know what that feels like, don't we? See, our boat isn't taking on water, but, but our marriage, our marriage sure is. 
Our boat isn't taking on water or going down, but our health, our health sure is right now. Our boat isn't taking on water or going down, but our career or our finances sure are. Our boat isn't taking on water and going down, but our hopes and dreams and aspirations for the future, those are going down pretty quick. Our boat isn't taking on water, but our faith is falling apart. Our family's falling apart. We know what it's like to be in the storm, do we not? We know exactly what it's like to be there. And far too many of us believe that the problems we're experiencing prove that God is absent from the equation. Or they prove he's not pleased with us. We're in this tough spot because somehow we've made a mistake. We're in a tough spot because somehow we're outside of God's will for us. That's what we believe. If it's not calm waters, something must be wrong with our faith. Something must be wrong with our Jesus. That's what the disciples thought, isn't it? Mark 4.38, the story continues. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In the middle of a severe storm, Jesus is in the stern, sleeping. I love that. It reminds me of a time we were living in the L.A. area, and we took the girls to the Rose Parade on New Year's Day. It's a great parade. You got to get there early. So we had to wake up like 4.30 or 5 and drive over there, try to beat the traffic. And we're sitting at this great spot right on the main boulevard there. The parades are going down. And this huge marching band comes. It's 30 feet from us. Full out marching band. And I look down and I see Cassia doing this. The marching band is right there. You can see their hats. Top left. She's out cold. You're missing it. That's exactly what Jesus looked like in the boat. Now remember, this is a 17-foot first century fishing boat. We're not talking about Jesus down in like the captain's quarters, taking a shower, like shaving his face, catching a few Zs. He's on the back porch, if you will, of the boat, the back bench, and he's sleeping on some sandbags, but he looks just like that. He's out cold in the middle of of the storm. And like many of us would have been, the disciples are a little frustrated by that. They're a little angered by the fact that Jesus is out cold in the middle of this chaos. And their question is one that so many of us have asked before in the midst of our own chaos, in the midst of our own struggle, in the midst of our own stormy sea. Jesus, do you not care at all about me right now? Do you not give a rip about what I'm going through? Do you not know or care that the person I love so dearly is going to die of cancer if you don't step in and step up? Do you not care? Do you not care that I can barely make ends meet right now? And I'm always top two or three in the interviews, but that's not good enough. I need to be the guy. I need to be the one. Do you not care that I don't have a job right now? Do you not care that my emotional health is falling apart? That the pills aren't working right now? I don't even want to be on pills. Do you not care about my mental health, Jesus? Do you not care that my educational pursuits are falling apart? I can't get the grades. I can't get the degree. Do you not care? Are you, are you, are you asleep Right now, Jesus, seriously, are you asleep on me? So the disciples wake him up. And I don't imagine it was a nice little like, um, Jesus, Jesus, oh, hey, hey, sorry. Just, I know you're catching a few Zs. 
but we got a little problem here. Just wondered if maybe you could wake up and help us out. No, and I was like, Jesus! Wake up! We're going to drown here, man. Mark 4, 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and the storm was completely calm. Like many parents have rebuked an unruly toddler, Jesus wakes up and rebukes the storm. But unlike the toddler, the storm actually listened. <laughs> and this is important. Because this is the first time that Jesus proves he has authority over nature and the natural order of things. I hinted at it before, but up to this point, Jesus has proven that he has authority in a lot of areas. He's proven he has authority over evil spiritual forces. That's all the demon possession stuff. He's proven he has authority over illness and physical ailments, right? That's all the healing stuff. He's proven he has authority over relational alienation, bringing back people who were ostracized for so long. But this is the first moment where he proves he has authority over weather patterns and storm surges and the wind and the waves and anything else that might come at you. Because you see, friends, Mark, here in chapter four, wants us to see and understand something. There's a lot of remarkable things about Jesus, but the most remarkable thing up to this point is that he is more powerful than any threat that comes against you. Jesus is more powerful than any attack that might come against you. Jesus has control and authority over any storm that might rise up against you. I don't care if it's spiritual, emotional, relational, physical, anything, everything. There is not a realm in your life or a realm in this world where Jesus does not have ultimate authority, where Jesus cannot drastically and dramatically change things for his good. Amen, friends? So Jesus quiets the storm that was raging all around the disciples but he has to address another storm that was raging deep within the disciples. And that might have been the more problematic of the storms. It's a storm that's raging in many of us as well right now. You see, back in the first century, the sea was viewed as a very scary place. It was very dark. It was very dangerous. They didn't have the understanding of it like we do today. A lot of people would die at sea every year. And so the sea was seen as this place, I kid you not, where evil like lived, where it ruled and reigned. The sea was like this place of, of confusion and chaos. It was dark. It was, it was ugly. It was scary. It was tumultuous. It was turbulent. It was troublesome. That's how they saw the sea. And don't we all have a place like that in our own lives? I mean, don't we, don't we all have a place where these things are really hard and things are really scary and, and things are, are really turbulent and unknown and stormy and confusing? And we see this one area of our life like they saw the stormy sea. It's this one area where, where, God, you're not really in that place. Like, Jesus, you don't really have authority in that place. Like, I, I don't know why, God, but you're not able, you're, you're unwilling to do anything for me in that one area of my life. Right, from that one relationship to that one struggle to that one trial to that one temptation to that one situation at work to that one regret about the past to that one fear you have about the future, there's just this place in our lives. Almost all of us have it. It's a stormy sea. It's where evil is winning. It's where evil kind of rules and reigns, and we just don't think Jesus cares much about that space or that he's powerless to really do anything for us in that space. 
But friends, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. As a Christian, the one who is in your boat is infinitely greater than anything and everything that could ever happen to your boat. The one who is in your boat as a believer is infinitely greater than anything and everything that could ever happen to your boat. The stormy seas, they scare us, and, and for good reason. But you know what? They submit to Jesus. The stormy seas, they scare us because we're powerless against them. But they submit to Jesus. And even in the darkest or hardest or toughest of places, even in the most evil or chaotic of situations, Jesus has ultimate say. Jesus can bring peace. See, the disciples, they were overwhelmed by what was happening to them. So much so, they forgot who was with them. And don't we do that same thing? Don't we become so overwhelmed by what's happening to us and around us that we forget who's with us? And some commentators said, Jesus is so confident in his own authority, he can take a nap in the middle of the storm. He's not all that caught off guard by anything. That's who's in your boat. We allow, though, the winds and the waves of this world to blind us to the fact that the word of God is with us. The wind and the waves distract us from the fact that the word is with us. You see, folks, Christianity isn't just the belief that Jesus can do some really cool things. Christianity is the belief that Jesus can do only that which God can do. Because Christianity is the belief that Jesus is God. We believe that in Jesus, God-sized things can happen because he is God. Listen to how the psalmist says, or how the psalmist describes this God, Psalm 107. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. Does that not describe some of you this morning? They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. Yeah, I know that feeling. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, understatement of the year, and he guided them to their desired haven. Don't you see Psalm 107 is describing Mark 4. Psalm 107 is saying that God of the Old Testament, so powerful and mighty, that God, uh, he's in your boat. He's right, he's asleep right there on the sandbags, that guy drooling at him. That, that's, that's Psalm 107. I know it doesn't look like it. I know you don't feel like it. I'm not sure you really trust that, but that's him, the one who can hush the storm, the one who can bring you to your desired haven. Don't you love that language of Psalm 107? That's him. That's Jesus. He's not just a really neat philosopher, not just a really nice guy, not just a miracle worker. He's the God of Psalm 107, the God who can bring you to your desired haven. And here's our final life lesson, friends, and we'll have the band come back up. One ounce of faith in the Savior is greater than a thousand acts of effort on the stormy sea. One ounce of trust, belief, 
faith. One little ounce of like, okay, God, I think you can. One little ounce of faith in the Savior is greater than a thousand of your greatest acts out on the stormy sea. You have to know the disciples as paid professionals, just spitting all over. It's like a stormy sea up here. They tried everything on that boat that day. Right? They're not going to wake up Jesus until they can't do anything else on their own accord. Well, that's, that's how it goes. One act of faith, Jesus, would you help us? Like, here's the oar. Here's the rudder. I don't know anything about boats. Here's whatever it takes to control this stupid thing. You take control. I trust and believe and have faith that you can do what I can't. Isn't that a place of humility? Isn't that a place the Lord would want us all to be? One ounce of faith in the Savior is greater than a thousand acts of effort on the stormy sea. The Bible says it this way, John 6, 29. And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe. Believe in the one that he has sent. I mean, don't you love that? The verse starts off, this is the work that God has for you. This is the work God wants you to do. And all of us are like, oh, great, here it comes. Like this laundry list of hoops I'm going to have to jump through, all these tasks and assignments, these things I'm going to have to achieve for the Lord. Okay, go ahead. This is the work you want me to do. Be perfect and never mess up and share my faith to every person that I meet. Okay, this is the work. Go ahead. John's like, what are you, what are you talking? This is the work I want. This is the one thing he wants you to do. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in this guy. Really, really believe in him. All you got to do, all you need to do, all God is asking you to do, believe. Believe that in Jesus and with Jesus and through Jesus, no storm will ever take you out. No storm will ever take you down. Here's why I say that, because I know for a fact that some of us in this room, we've given up on God. Now, I know it's probably not, you know, in its entirety or completely. We haven't given up on him with the promise of heaven, our own salvation. But we've given up on him in this one area of our life. There's this one storm we see, and we've just given up on God. And you know what John says to you this morning? You know what Jesus says to you? You know what Mark's saying to you? What I'm saying to you? Believe. Believe in Jesus in that one area. Believe that you're going to go down if you just keep acting the same way you've been acting. But believe that he will get you to your desired haven. He's the only one who can. That's kind of what Jesus tells the disciples. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and he kind of turns to these old boys, and he rebukes them. Mark 4, 40 and 41. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? And the guys, like, with their clothes dripping wet, like, uh, duh. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, it says. The word there is even stronger than the fear they experienced in the storm itself. They were terrified and asked each other, who in the world is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, Jesus, made, Jesus would have made a horrible counselor, just horrible. In that moment, he's not like, Peter, tell me how you're feeling, man. Like, James, tell me, what did the, story, oh, the, the storm do to you? Hmm, interesting. Tell me more. What about your dad? Okay, I see. Yeah, good. Yeah, all in that one time in sixth grade, mm, yeah, tough. But here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus isn't rebuking them for their doubt. Doubters are always welcomed in the mix. Skeptics and those who have questions and concerns, they're always welcome. But Jesus never placates you in your doubt. He's never like, you know, you can just stay in that place where you believe like I'm powerful in these areas, but not real powerful in these areas. It's okay to be on the fence with me, guys. I, I take a little bit of faith. I'll take what you got. No, he always says more. 
more disciples, more faith in me, more trust that I can do what nobody else can do, more belief that I am able when nobody else is able. That's what I need from you guys, more faith. I love that. Let's have the band come up and we'll spend a few minutes thinking through this on our own, maybe praying about it with those around us. But let me end this way. Being rescued from an arroyo in a flash flood, that, that's an incredible water rescue. I, I've seen a few, it's amazing. Uh, being, being rescued off a rooftop when your house is totally flooded in a huge storm, that, that's an amazing water rescue as well. The finest hours being rescued as your ship and vessel is being crushed in the sea, that, that's an amazing water rescue as well. But you know what's even more amazing? What's even more remarkable? That there is a God, our God, Jesus the Christ, who not only takes people out of storms, but he promises he can take your storm out. He can take it out. That's remarkable. And so this morning, as we continue in worship for about 10 or 15 more minutes, I want you to spend some time thinking about the stormy seas in your life, right in this moment. I want you to ask yourself a few questions. In what areas of your life are you taking on water right now? In what areas of your life do you feel like maybe you're drowning? In what areas of your life do you feel like you're maybe going down? And this morning, would you stop panicking? Would you stop freaking out? Would you stop worrying? Would you stop, stop trying to jump ship? And instead, would you just sit for a few minutes with Jesus? And would you say, I believe in you, man. I believe with all my heart. You can get me out of this. I believe, Jesus, you are the only one who can get me to my desired haven. Would you please do that now? Let me pray for us. We'll spend some time in worship. God, you are an amazing God. There is none like you on heaven above or earth below. And so we come to you now, many of us who are soaking wet and drowning because of the wind and waves of this life. We come to you now and we say, Jesus, would you help us? Would you do what only you could do? Would you still the storm and quiet the chaos? Right now in this moment, God, we give you our marriages. We give you our parenting. We give you our divorce. We give you our addictions. We give you our fears. We give you our regrets. We give you our temptations. We give you our, our rejections. We give it all to you, God. No longer will those things sink us. Instead, we ask that you would save us in those things. Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.